Hey everybody, thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, this week on the show, I caught up with ultra runner Rod Farvard, who first appeared on Off the Couch in the fall of last year. Just recently, Rod announced he'd received a two-year contract to run for the North Face as part of their athlete development program, an initiative kicked off by the brand to provide 17 young athletes from a multitude of sports, including trail running, resources to accelerate their careers and serve as activists in the outdoor space. Rod and I talk about the critical role such programs play in continuing to professionalize the sport of trail running, how he intends to use his platform to help decrease our environmental impacts while enjoying the trails and wilderness spaces, and a whole lot more. But before we get into that conversation, I just want to say that if you're enjoying listening to the conversations I've been having on this show and find yourself wanting to get more into trail running yourself, I'd encourage you to sign up for a Blister membership so you can send us an email and get my personal recommendations to help you find the right pair of running shoes. Check out the link in the show notes for more info on that, as well as all of the other benefits becoming a Blister member gets you. Also, if you've been enjoying the conversation I've been having on this show, please do us a favor and leave us a rating or review. Little things like that go a long way in supporting the podcast. Okay, let's get right into my chat with Rod. Rod, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again, Matt. Yeah, so I forget exactly when we last spoke, uh, but I wanted to have you on to first kind of catch up on on what you've been up to lately and how your year ended, as well as talk about the North Face Athlete Development Program, which was just announced a couple weeks ago, and uh, you are now a member of. Um, so my first question is, yeah, how did how did the rest of 2022 go for you? Yeah, I think the last time we chatted was right after UTMB. Um, so I, I had decided to continue racing after that. Um, and I went to Thailand to go to UTMB's race, um, at Doyenthanon National Park. Um, it's the Asian major. So I figured there was a lot of good opportunity there and I felt like still had some, some life in me after, uh, the season. So yeah, I continued training for that. And um, ended up going to Thailand and not having the day or, or week at all that I was planning to have. Um, a lot of uh, family events unfolded that week, and um, I showed up at the line just kind of extremely drained and not really wanting to fight. Um, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what exactly happened, but I ended up getting rhabdomyolysis and um, getting sent to the hospital around the 35-mile mark. Yeah, very, very confusing events that, you know, I've been doing some digging to, to figure out what kind of happened. But yeah, not quite the, the end of the season I was, I was hoping for. The race like happened to be a golden ticket race. And since it's a major, it, you know, top 10 would, would get you back into UTMB. So uh, I, I did come there with some goals, but my plans shifted about midweek when I was there to just getting out there and seeing what I could do. And uh, didn't quite have it in me on the day. Can we talk a little bit about uh, the events leading up to the race? I know you're pretty open about them on social media, and I think it's a it's a really yeah scary story, but at the same time inspiring story. Yeah, definitely. So I typically go to these races with my parents. They they love to come and support. So 
we were, you know, it's obviously a really long flight to Thailand. I think it's about 20 hours total of travel time. And we were on the last leg from Bangkok to Chiang Mai. It was like a one hour flight connector somewhere, (laughs) somewhere along the trip. My, my mom was talking to my dad and then all of a sudden turned to my dad and he was completely unconscious. Yeah. Not really knowing what happened. She started screaming on the plane and luckily there were some doctors right next to her. Um, and they were able to start doing CPR. It turns out he had a heart attack, completely lost his pulse. And, um, the doctors were able to do CPR until the plane landed and he made it out, but was in the hospital all week. And, yeah, received great care from the public hospital there, which we're incredibly grateful for. Uh, but yeah, it was <laughs> definitely not uh, how I envisioned the week going and prepping for the race. You know, we were in the hospital trying to communicate in from English to Thai with um, all these different doctors all week, kind of running around, um, spending, you know, all day sitting and sleeping in these hospital chairs. Um, but in- incredibly grateful to to make it out of that. Um, yeah, my dad is completely fine now. You know, he, we had some like scares trying to get back from Thailand to the U S after the race, but, uh, he, yeah, he's completely stable, had surgery, um, and has an ICD in now. So, I, you know, I think overall, um, gave a lot of perspective on, you know, what, what really matters. Like I, in the end, I didn't really care that I dropped out of the race, right. Or, or anything like that. But, yeah, really grateful to have super supportive parents who who want to come out and, um, you know, travel across the country to come watch me race and it literally, you know, risk their life. Granted, like no one no one knew that was going to happen. But yeah, overall, I'd, I'd say like, you know, it, it was it was going to happen to my dad at some point and it seems like crazy timing for it to happen on the plane. But if you think about it, there's no other time where you'd have, you know, two, maybe three doctors on board that would be there to, to bring them back. Um, we're in a very controlled environment and, uh, they had everything they needed on the plane except an AED, which is kind of ridiculous, but, um, yeah, all the other medical tools they they needed, they had. So, uh, yeah, terrible timing as far as where we were. Um, but really, I don't know. It, it's super lucky that, that we had those kind of resources nearby. Yeah, I feel like they just have like doctors on planes all the time anyway. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, has that event kind of brought you guys closer? You know, my my dad is is one thing. Like I definitely view our time more limited now. Um, but I think it's really brought my mom and my sister and I closer uh, as we were trying to navigate this whole thing together while in Thailand. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of emotions came out, a lot of... Um, you know, things that we probably would have never said to each other, good things and bad that, that ultimately made us understand each other a little bit more. Um, versus like if I were just to go to race, I'd probably, you know, would have been doing my own thing all week, which is typically what I do. Um, and something that I've like come to really realize that I don't have like the best relationship with my family sometimes. And, you know, that's completely by choice. Like they, they love me. I love them. And we could, definitely communicate better. So, uh, I think overall, like, yeah, absolutely just value all of our time together a lot more and want, want to make these 
these moments more than just about me racing. Let's talk about your trip to the hospital for a sec. Um, I've heard of people getting rhabdo all the time, especially in like CrossFit gyms and whatnot. What is rhabdo and like <laughs> what what did it feel like, I guess? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I mean, I guess it makes sense. CrossFit people get rhabdo, but <laughs> um, it's it's quite a you know, you don't really know you have rhabdo, I'd say, is is the thing. Like, what happened to me was um, there's this massive climb, basically, at, at mile 20-ish or 22 up to uh, the highest point in Thailand. I think it's like a 7,000-foot climb. And it's hot. You're, you're, you're kind of in trees, but some parts are exposed. Um, I got to the aid station prior, and... I mean, you know, filled up and everything, but the Thailand aid stations were a little bit tricky, I I guess. And I guess, you know, probably my fault also that I didn't do a lot of research throughout the week to, to kind of see what was going to be at the aid stations. But one of these, um, one of the, what is it like a pitcher to, to fill up your, your bottle was just pure syrup. Um, and I think you're supposed to like mix it with water yourself, but that wasn't like very well communicated. Uh, so I, and I thought it was just electrolyte mix, you know, so I poured one of those in my bottles and, uh, the other one was just water. I typically go one water, one electrolyte mix and I start climbing and then start drinking and it's just like the thickest syrup ever. And I'm like, okay, there's no way, no way I could drink this. And there's, there's like no aid station between that and, and the top of the mountain. So it's like this huge climb in the sun in the heat, in the humidity. And I was just on one bottle and, you know, somewhere around there, I I started cramping and I was like, okay, whatever. Like I knew this was going to happen. I just need to get to the next aid station, just refill. It is what it is. And then the cramping got way, way worse. Like to the point where, you know, everything is cramping into your neck, your, your jaw, and it won't let go. Um, so, I mean, I was even surprised I could like walk some of these sections to, to even get to the aid station. Like everything was just seized. And I finally got to an aid station and sat down for a bit, um, at the top of the mountain. And, uh, I was with my parents and my sister and, you know, they were crewing me and I, you know, I was able to eat. Everything was like totally fine. And I was like, okay, I'm going to come back out of this. Um, but I couldn't stand up without cramping, like no matter how much I drink or anything. And, then it got to the point where I cramped like so hard that I, there was, there was no release whatsoever. So, um, they basically had to carry me to this med tent where I had to lie down and any type of movement I make was just like this big seizing and the, the staff there, they were, they were really kind and, you know, patient with me. But then eventually since nothing was happening, they were like, okay, we need to get you on an IV, um, out of this med tent. So they, yeah, they like basically told me I have to DNF and um, ambulance me down to the finish line where I got an IV and then they took blood tests on me and my blood levels were, or my, my biomarkers in my blood were crazy, specifically my potassium and my creatine kinase. So the, that's like, when those are elevated in your blood, that's a really uh, you know good sign that you have rhabdo, which is essentially your muscles tearing, breaking down and releasing the contents in the muscles into your blood. Um, as potassium, right? Like that's what, that's an electrolyte your, your muscle needs. So it makes sense that that's elevated. 
mine was so elevated. They were worried about uh, me having a heart attack, ironically, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, so, so because potassium is, is a really um, big stimulant in the heart. So that's the main reason they wanted to get me to the hospital. The creatine kinase um, really is really hard for your kidneys to filter. So it leads to kidney injury, which I was also diagnosed with. So um, they had to bring me to the hospital, keep track of me, keep pumping me, put a catheter in me to, Oh yeah, it was terrible. It was like the worst. And, and it was this hospital, like so grateful. Right. But it was this hospital that was like in the jungle and didn't really have a lot of resources. And the doctors just like kept poking the catheter the wrong way. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy night in that, in that hospital. But, uh, yeah, I mean, by the next day I was, I was out, my, my levels were like starting to slowly decline and, um, they wanted to keep me another night, but we had to like catch a flight back to the U S. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, since then, um, there was a good week or two or, or three even where I felt like I, like I, I you know, I, did, I wasn't running much, but I was skiing and I could feel like my stomach and my kidneys just definitely hurting in like weird ways. So, um, yeah, was was a little afraid to like get back at it. I don't really know what the recovery from rhabdo is supposed to look like. Um, but I, yeah, saw my doctor, did some more blood tests and everything looks normal. So he told me to get after it. So I started running for a week, um, early January and, you know, I ski a lot too. And then, um, that weekend I actually fractured my tibial plateau skiing and, uh, had an MCL sprain that was pretty bad. So I, I'm still on crutches currently. It's been about six weeks now, but hopefully about to get back to, to normal and running. <laughs> yeah, oh man. It's been a long, yeah. <laughs> long little journey since then. <laughs> In some ways, and I don't know, this is just from an outsider's perspective, it, it feels like this like kind of down period might be good for the old kidneys there. I hope so. Kidneys and just general mentality yeah. and, you know, drive in the sport. I think I think I had a very excessive season, like January to, to January almost of racing every other month um, in big races. So, yeah, I think... I think regardless, I wouldn't be running much right now. Um, but I, I do have pretty big goals in this and, uh, need to really get back at it pretty soon. So, um, yeah, I think if I can run by March, I'll be pretty happy, but, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to get back. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I, I feel like also, uh, your, you know, triathlon background means that you're a great cross trainer. I've been seeing, you've been, uh, hammering away on Zwift. Yeah, I I was actually thinking about this this morning. I was like, God, I, I'm so glad running isn't the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been swimming, been biking, staying staying pretty fit. Um, and yeah, I've tried to thank for that. What's your longest ride on Zwift? Oh, five hours. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I want to get that up though. I have some big Zwift goals. So, <laughs> dude, what? It, yeah, what? Like, what are they? I'm interested. I, I mean, I'd like to do like a double century on Zwift. I don't know why. You're, you're I, don't know. Mad, <laughs> I have no idea why, but it's, just, it's such like a mental battle, you know, like you could sit on there and spin all day and Zwift is kind of funny because, or like an indoor bike is funny because you don't have like external factors slowing you down, like headwind or friction or bumps or anything. So it's like, 
it's it's like your power output in the most ideal environment will get you like you know a lot of miles like way more miles than it would in in an outdoor setting where you're slowed down by a lot of things so yeah you could ride like pretty fast on zwift so it'd be cool to like do a double century under under 10 hours or something right because you're not you're not coasting at all you're pedaling the entire time yeah yeah exactly oh man (laughs) all right let's fast forward a little bit Uh, i wanted to ask you some questions about your new sponsor the north face athlete uh, development program yeah so this program has been uh really interesting so it's very unlike some you know what a lot of brands do i think the the main purpose of this was for the north face was to find new talent that's like generally pretty underrepresented and just giving them a chance to to see who they could be who they can become in this two-year contract my experience so far so so actually let me let me rewind. The program is essentially consists of 17 athletes of different backgrounds. Um, I think on our program right now, there are two alpinists, five climbers, four skiers or snowboarders, and six trail runners. We're all like pretty young and, and new in the space and uh, come from very different backgrounds. And um, the program consists of a two-year contract where we're getting, you know, actually like full support from the brand and a lot of resources to, to, to really use how we want. Like, and I think that's the most, the most unique thing about this. Like most, most normal, like pro contracts, right. You, you're there to compete, you're there to, to perform. And, um, that's, you know, that's, that's the bulk of it. It is like, you still very much are expected to be a member of the community and stuff like that. But I think, you know, the, the best athletes in the world can get away with, just running fast, you know, or, or just being the best skier or whatever. Um, but this program, we're given like a lot of resources to, to use the brand in a way to get our voice out and be like a member of the community. Um, so there, there's like big expectations in that as well. It's like, uh, part of this is to, is to pitch a project to the North face, uh, with someone who's been on the brand for a while, who is assigned your mentor and, learn the steps in in being able to put these projects together like a lot of the times like i i feel like you know i'd go on social media or something and i'd see like this athlete get um a lot of attention on on this video um about them like going after this race or this fkt or like skiing this like massive line right like how did how did that person get selected to to do this and what what are the steps because the brand isn't going to go approach you and be like, we want to do this with you. It's, it's a lot of initiative on the athlete side to get this done. And I feel like a lot of pros don't know how to do that in the space. Like there's, there's not a lot of directive and um, instruction on how to, how to pitch yourself and how to create a project and really use the resources you have available to you. So this program is teaching you all the ins and outs of that. We've learned so much about how the North face functions as a brand, like, the, the first like few months of this, I felt like I was going through company onboarding, right? Like I felt like more of, um, really, really like not an employee, like you're, you're not an employee of the brand, but, um, you're, you're like being treated as that way because they expect a lot from you and they expect, um, you to understand where to go. So, uh, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed that aspect of it and, um, you know, getting, getting like real attention, 
rather than like signing on with a brand because, you know, I just raced really well at this race. And now they're the only thing left for me to do is just continue competing at that high level. Like, I don't know. What if I, what if I signed with another brand and then dropped out in Thailand and then they wanted to, to cut me. Right. You know, like there's, there's a lot more worth to you as an athlete when you are able to, to market yourself in this way and, and produce, um, produce something that is good for your entire community that also elevates the brand. So that is a big directive in this program. Obviously performance is, is huge too. Like I, I think performance is still more important than all these other things in order to, to continue with the North face. So this is a two-year contract by the end of it, you're trying to um, really pitch yourself to like continue being signed on by the North face. And uh, yeah, I think, performance is still at the forefront of that but yeah so you mentioned uh that you'd be like paired with a mentor and kind of uh charged with coming up with uh pitching pitching a project uh have you how far are you in that process yeah i i've thought about what i want to do um i my mentor currently is zach miller which is awesome yeah so we're we're you know, we still need to collaborate a lot on what we want to do together. Um, but you know, more than anything, your mentor is someone to ask like any question about and, and just have like a solid resource that has been through this, that, that you're what you're experiencing now to get to the level that they're at. Like it doesn't happen overnight and it's not just one performance that gets you there. It's like, it's always, always being able to, to pitch yourself really. And, um, you know, be open to asking for more and, uh, understanding what, what your values are and what makes you, uh, you know, an important person in the space. So, uh, yeah, that I, I feel like Zach is really good at doing that himself and, you know, granny, he's one of the best runners in the country and, uh, is, yeah, he had a insane year this year, but I think like a lot of it is he's, I don't know, he has like a really strong voice and I, I feel like, uh, growing up in the sport and, and getting to the level where I am now, like he is one of those people that I always looked at who has like such a good articulate way of, uh, explaining how he's feeling about something in, um, you know, the, the type of individual he wants to be in the community that like people are, are there to follow. So I'm, I'm curious to, to hear how he developed that voice and what, you know, advice he could give me to, to be more than just a runner be honest. Yeah. I think what you are hitting on with, um, kind of this expectation that trail runners are supposed to kind of market themselves well, uh, points to this like lack in our sport, this lack of like professionalization, because I feel like in other sports, like, I don't know, the NBA or whatnot, you have agents to kind of do that for you. Whereas in trail running, you almost are like forced to work kind of like double duty. Like the expectations are that you like perform at a super high level as well as be able to market yourself. And I think that's like, I don't know, yeah. a lot for yeah. a lot of people. Definitely. Sometimes I do wish it was a little different, to be honest. Like I, yeah, I, I wish I could just run sometimes, but I don't think I really wish that. I think, I think sometimes it'd be easier to, for that to be the only thing to think about. But I think, you know, it, trail running is so unique and so individual because it, it, it's, it's really interesting how people got into this sport. It's not like, uh, you know, you grew up, your parents threw you 
in to play soccer. Right. And then you got really good because you had great coaches or, or really good opportunity as a kid. It's yeah. You made the choice to go be an ultra runner at, for some like crazy reason. <laughs> and your story is interesting. So it, it's important to get these stories out to get more people to, to do the sport and bring the sport into a more professional setting. And uh, maybe professional is the wrong word. I think it's an incredible professional setting, but a more like marketable setting for, right. yeah, for more people to want to watch it and hear your story. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of improvement that can be done. And I think brands pushing athletes to to do that it is important. Otherwise, like, yeah, all we want to do is run. We're pretty introverted people. We don't like want to talk about <laughs> these things out, out loud, but yeah, it's good to have the nudge and learn how to do it in, in a way that will be heard. Um, yeah, like you can, you can go and run your mouth off on Instagram all the time, but that's not like necessarily what people want to listen to or what's going to inspire people. So. Totally. I do feel like I'm cheating sometimes because like most of the runners that I have on the show, I ask like, how did you get into trail running? You know, as like a, a, a way to kick off the interview. Uh, but I ask that because you're right. It is like inherently interesting. Like I would never ask like LeBron James, how he got into basketball. It's like, yeah. that's not, that's yeah. not, that's not going to be original at all. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So have you gotten a chance to kind of interact with all of your teammates? Yeah. So we, uh, initially when we all signed on, um, we had a, a nice camp in uh, Buena Vista, Colorado, where we got to meet each other, learn each other's stories. Um, and it, it was like, honestly, pretty surreal. Just the, the caliber of people at this camp. Like, I think that's like almost the, the most humbling, but also cool thing about being a part of the North Face now. There's just so many influential people there's at, you know, in the same corner as you that you can chat up and are like open to talking. Like at this camp, um, we had, you know, Hillary Nelson uh, about a month before a tragic accident, which was crazy. Um, and she was the, the team captain of, of the brand uh, before, you know, passing, obviously. But yeah, so she was there. Um, Andre Lopez was there. Nina Williams, like these people that that you see and are, um, you know, they're, your, they're some of your heroes and people that you love to follow. So we all got to, to meet each other there. Um, and probably like a big, a big piece of that camp was uh, just learning about what the program's expectations were. And I think like the thing that stuck with me the most um, was Nina telling us that, that this program more than anything is a leadership program. So they're, they're here to teach us how to be a leader in the community and, that's like how we should use our resources here more than anything. Cause like in two years, you know, not everyone here is going to get another contract with the North face, in, but in two years you can leave this program knowing how to be a leader for yourself and being uh, a leader in the community. And just like, yeah, being able to advocate for something that you're passionate about. What about like the North faces, like values kind of align with yours? First and foremost, um, is sustainability for me. I, you know, I struggle a lot with the amount of amount of travel there is in the sport and how much, uh, you know, our carbon footprint adds up doing it and all the gear we have to buy, all the shoes we go through everything. Um, it feels like very counterintuitive for, to, you know, what we're doing and where we're exploring in the wilderness experiences we like to have. Um, but I, 
yeah, I feel like North Face ever since, you know, I've learned about the brand has been at the forefront of like trying to be a more sustainable company. And a lot of brands have taken follow into that. And yeah, like it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect, but it, it takes like brands to step up and it's not just about all the cool shoes you could produce and, and the output of new models you bring out. It's, it's about, you know, just being really conscious about where your waste is going and trying to make things that last. Um, yeah. And that, that's like more of a, a more, I guess like objective value, but I think like just on a like sentimental level, my, you know, my, my dad has been <laughs> such a North face dude for since I grew up. So I've been like surrounded by the brand a ton. Like I've been following the athletes a ton, like less so the trail runners, but more just the explorers and the alpinists and just been like the most inspiration I've ever had was like watching these athletes conquer big mountains and it, yeah, to be like someone surrounded by these people and a North face athlete, that's like the most inspiring thing for me to, to help be, to help push me to, to be the best in this sport. Yeah, I think growing up in the Bay Area, uh, where you're constantly surrounded by North Face stuff, like my, I used to steal my dad's like quarter zip uh, fleeces and yeah. just rock those. <laughs> Definitely so good. Yeah, we used to we used to like <laughs> roll as a family to this North Face outlet in Berkeley, and just like pick up as much stuff as we can like once a year. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good oh, memories. <laughs> totally. Uh, do you think that like this opportunity kind of helps? I guess, imbue your running with more meaning. I know that's something you've kind of talked about um, specifically in, in the article you wrote uh, for Free Trail, which I'll link uh, in this episode. Um, this kind of like interplay between running as like a communal action versus like a selfish pursuit. I'm wondering if you can like say more about that. Yeah, that's my hope. Um, you know, I, I, so how I feel about that, I, yeah, running is this, really self, not selfish. I don't know. I can't think of a better word right now, but it, it, at its core, it's like a selfish thing that we do, right? Like it's how we get our release throughout the day or like we're training for this race to do well at it. Um, we ask like a lot of people to come support and, um, do this thing for, with us. And yeah, I, you know, I also struggle with that a little bit. Like I, I don't, I don't want to be spending all this time just for self gain. Like I want my, my actions and my time spent doing this thing to be more about how we can grow the community or be leaders in the outdoor space. So huge, um, initiative of mine while being part of this program and being part of the North face is to learn how to direct all that energy into something bigger than just me and, um, make a positive change in, in the community. It's like given so much to me and allowed me to really find myself as a person and find all my best friends and best relationships. So it's, yeah, if there's any way I could give back, it would be through the help of a brand like the North face, where there's a ton of people that are, are giving back currently. So at this current moment, or actually not this current moment, like a few months ago without, the help of a brand. I don't know. I don't know how to direct my voice to be heard. So the path of least resistance there is to, to not say anything, right. And just do your own thing. But when you have all these people in your corner, pushing you to be, uh, someone who is a leader in your community and 
someone who you know wants to actually make a change then yeah we're we're going to find ways to to put all this energy into something bigger like for me like i mentioned sustainability is really big for me like trail conservation like we we recreate so much in these in these areas and i want to i want to learn how to like get more people to to help me uh conserve all these areas that that we're we're playing in and uh i don't really have the resources myself to do that but if there's a way to help organize an event to to reduce our impact in a place or um, put out like a campaign that will make people think a little bit more about how they're how they're leaving these areas that that they traveled through, I think, yeah, just just being able to to relay all this energy into something a little bit bigger would be really key for me. Have you uh, heard about um, what Andy Wacker is doing with the trail team? Because it's it's similar to what the North Face is doing with their athlete development program, um, but it's just interesting that like it kind of corresponds um, with like the program you're in right now. He's essentially yep. sponsoring uh, like six sub ultra runners from the ages of like twenty to thirty um, that live and train in the U.S. Um, and their goal is to kind of establish this pipeline, uh, into professional trail running and make that like a sustainable option for people. Um, and I think both that program and the one that you're involved in, I think just speak to the health of our sport and where it's going. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I always hear people saying, oh, Andy's doing great things in the sport, but I never actually knew like what, <laughs> what he was up to. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta I gotta have him out at some point to, yeah. to chat about it because I think it is exciting. Um, sweet. So I wanted to look forward a bit. What do you think the next like six months uh, in this program look like for you? Yeah, I think first and foremost, um, getting to really know Zach and p- putting a project together. And what I what I want to do, I don't want to say it out loud yet. So <laughs> I won't. Sure. But but I wanted to happen over the summer. Um, specifically end of July, early August. So that doesn't give like, a, you know, we need to get started on this in order to put the the right type of pitch together. And something else really interesting. We, so we, we had a meeting this last week, not with Zach, but like more with the entire program. And um, one of the directors of, of marketing, um, his name's John Torres. And he, he was actually telling us like, like you guys will a hundred percent know more how to put a pitch out rather than, people that, who have been on the team for, for like 10 years now who never got this training. So it's kind of, it's funny that, and I think like that's a gap that they found in the space. And that's like a big reason this program came, came up. It's just like being able to, to teach athletes how to, how to do these things. But uh, anyways, there's, a, there's a lot of steps to making a pitch. So we got to get that going. And then, yeah, I mean, on, on more of a personal level, selfish level as we were talking earlier <laughs> i need i need to get back to to running and yeah i like i mentioned like a big part of this this program is performance like it's probably the, the biggest part of it and uh, i need to perform at western states this year so um gonna go full monk mode locked in to to achieve that <laughs> what's that look like third it's your third time running yeah so first time running i I had no idea what I was doing. So that's just going to be a scratch. Actually, I learned a lot from the experience, but the way I was training, like I, my coach and I have, have learned more together as we have 
are now tackling this the third time. But yeah, the first time I don't, and largely my fault, I just moved to Mammoth. So I was like, you know, let's go run in the Alpine. <laughs> but that that's not how you train for Western. Second time, you know, did a lot more training in the, in Bishop, in, in the heat, you know, but it's not quite, not, not quite the, the heat that, that Western States is. So I, that's, that's ultimately what I've learned throughout all these experiences. Like, even if you don't feel hot at Western States and you're cooling off, you still need to train your stomach to, to be able to eat and digest in the heat, which I wasn't doing enough of last year. So this year I am moving to Palm Springs for a month in May and uh, it has one of the hottest historical averages in California in, in the month of May. I think my friend told me to hit 105 when he was there last year. So um, hoping to, to really emulate Western heat and just be super focused on exactly what I'm going to do on race day. Like it's so hard to, cause you're only going to go run for four hours, right? You're like, I could get away with only eating four things today, but yeah, I want to like put in that, that same stomach training plan that I want to put into Western. So everything is just, you know, not foreign to me on, on the day, which is a very basic thing to say, like everyone knows that, but it's very hard for me to put into practice. So I'm just going to put myself in that environment and be focused, take notes, lactate threat testing, and yeah, all the little things that I wasn't doing. Have you spent much time running in Palm Springs? None. <laughs> it seems super cool. Like there's tons of vert to be had with the San Gabes right there. And then you're right. It's just like the surface of the sun level hot. Yeah. There's Joshua Tree right there too um, to, to really get into the heat. And then, yeah, you're right. Mount San Jacinto. You could do Cactus Clouds. If you wanted to get up and get the vert in. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just excited to be healthy and well, not, not quite yet, but I'm excited to almost be healthy and yeah, get back to running. I think, I think I'll get my strength back pretty quick. So yeah. yeah. Uh, have there been any like updates to the Western States course? Cause I know sections of it burned this past year. Yeah. No, nothing that I know of. I, there, it's almost, I, I'm sure there's going to be route like, by canyons, there's going to be a ton of reroutes. So they might, I, I don't know, they might keep some of that, but I, I have no idea. I've never, I haven't put eyes on the trail or anything and there hasn't been many updates out, but yeah, I think, you know, with the rains post burns, it's, it's pretty washed out right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've heard you kind of talk about the importance uh, Western States has to you uh, as well as UTMB. Are there any plans to uh, to tackle both in a calendar year? Yeah, I, I mean, I wanted to this year, but I didn't get into UTMB, unfortunately. Um, went through the lottery, didn't get through, and Thailand was my chance to get top 10, but it didn't, obviously didn't, that didn't happen. Um, so I am doing TDS this year, and I think that'll be, it'll be different than UTMB, definitely. It's a different style of race, but I think more of what I'm looking for, to be honest. Like, I don't know. I want to do Western States and UTMB and just because I'm really curious to see how that double plays out because just, you know, like so few people have been successful at it in one summer and yeah, I just, yeah, I'm curious, but I think like as far as the type of style of race TDS is, I think that's more what I'm looking for post Western States. So I'm, I'm excited for it be less competitive, which is always a little disappointing. Like you want to put yourself in the biggest fields, but I think it'll be, st it's still a battle. So yeah. Yeah. TDS from what I know is just 
a lot more technical, a lot yep. less runnable, which I think definitely is a, a healthy contrast to Western states for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, summer in the Sierra, like it's so much more fun doing peaks. That's the thing. Than, yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm excited to train for that race. And yeah, some a project, the project that I want to do with the North Face is kind of like more in, in that realm also. That's what I'll say about it so far. So, yeah. Healthy teaser. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Rod. Well, that's kind of all I had for you. Um, well, this has been a ton of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Uh, I mean, so glad we're, we're homies now and can't wait to see you next time in, I'm in SF. So. Yeah. Hopefully I'll make it out to Mammoth when all the snow melts, but that might, might not be until August. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. See ya. Okay. See ya. Bye. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Rod for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week. 